tonight's thought. We're always too obsessed with the private lives of television characters. You know, are, are our lives so boring that we all have to pine over the fictional lives of people on the TV every night? Or are we just such wishful voyeurs that we walk around this world and we see people at work and we see people uh, in the supermarket, we see our friends and our neighbors and our other family members, and we want to know what happens with them when we're not around. But we, we feel ashamed of that. We're not supposed to know what goes on behind, you know, closed blinds, right? And uh, so instead we turn on the television and it gives us an outlet uh, for our perversions. Yeah, I guess it's always been like this um, with people and entertainment. But but something interesting happened with TV um, because it was such a it was such a wild invention. It just gave people entertainment immediately. It wasn't like books where you had to open them up and read, and you know your brain had to had this latency, it had to catch up with what was going on, all the dirty little things between the lines, right? But yeah, television, it was just right there in front of us. I guess it really, like, uh, one thing I'm reminded of is, like, I Love Lucy, okay? You know, this, this show came out in the 1950s in a time where uh, the characters slept in different beds, yet they had kids anyway. You know, the Dick Van Dyke show, they had kids, but they had separate beds. Uh, and it, it was a big scandal uh, when, uh, you'll remember, uh, Lucille Ball appeared uh, pregnant, right, on television. All of America was going like, you know, how, how could that have happened? They, 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 they sleep in separate beds. It doesn't make sense. But everybody knew, right? You know? They had to have, like, knocked boots at some point when the cameras were off. And so people got irritated. They're like, uh, I thought we were going into the, the homes and seeing what happens in the private residences of, of two people on television. So I Love Lucy goes off the air, and over the years, uh, the standards generally begin to relax a little bit. And as people grew up and the television industry grew up, you know, we got closer and closer into the bedrooms uh, of these sitcom characters. And, and, and then finally, sometime around the turn of the century, around the turn of the 21st century, we, we really actually got to go inside that bedroom, and we got to see it. We got to see these, these fictional presences, right? We got to see people like, um, you know, Don Draper do it. 
we got to see like Nicole Kidman do it on on HBO shows, right? We got to see we got to see David Duchovny do it. Oh my God, did we get to see him do it a lot on Californication? Right? I mean, we pretty soon there was like nothing left to the imagination. Yet somehow we still wanted more. We want more, and we want more. And now that's all we get. We all we all we get right is the 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 private lives of television characters. Creeping across the airwaves, right? Coming into our living rooms. We get to see how they do it. <laughs> and yet we still always want more. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's that we're just curious voyeurs by nature and we have to uh, have some kind of catharsis, some kind of an outlet for our illicit desires. Um, but I think it's also another thing is in that, you know, television, more so the movies, right? Television really does allow us a trial run for our lives. Uh, movies are over in like two hours, but television, you can really draw out the life of a fictional character over the course of many, many seasons and many years. Um, and it allows us to run through these trial scenarios and perhaps that's why we're so obsessed with people on television, right? Say, you know, it's always been in the back of your mind, for instance, that you really want to be like a New Jersey mob boss. Okay, well, go on, you know, and see Tony Soprano and do a trial run. See how that works out for you. Or, you know, for me as a teacher, right, I, you know, what would happen if I were to uh, suddenly decide to turn into Scarface and, and sell meth? Uh, all the time, right? What would happen there? So I turn on Breaking Bad, and over the course of six seasons, um, I finally decide that's probably not the best idea, right? <laughs> but, you know, we, we watch these television shows, and we see these trial runs, and, and we all know that at some point it's going to end, and, and we don't want it to, but, uh, you know, it's go it's going to end, Right? after 30 minutes or an hour. And so that's why we created binging, right? So it doesn't have to end, okay? And we turn on the television and we watch these people over and over again, hour after hour, and we go through these trial run scenarios. And, uh, you know, really quickly, you'll notice that none of the characters on these television shows, they ever watch Netflix, right? That's the one major difference between them and you. <laughs> Is they, they they never watch television, okay? So, but yeah, binging though. But eventually, of course, we want more. The show comes to an end, and now suddenly we're left in the dark, right? But I don't know. I I think I think eventually what's going to happen is that we're going to become so obsessed with watching these characters simulate our lives uh, that we're going to eventually just like inhabit them. And the way that we do this is by creating these 24-hour television shows. I'm not talking about like reality shows, like like that old movie Ed TV. Okay? I'm talking about just like what, turning the television on and watching 24 hours of scripted um, sitcoms. I guess, you know, it'll follow these characters around. There will be like a laugh track and, 
you know, people are always getting into wacky situations and and we'll finally find out, you know, what happens uh, when the cameras turn off between the episodes. And um, and this this will answer a lot of questions for us. Right. Like sometimes, uh, you know, you'll notice on a on a sitcom um, on one single episode, how it will sometimes jump ahead many, many weeks in the lives of the character. I noticed this uh, last night when I was watching the Mary Tyler Moore show. Actually, <laughs> it came on my YouTube feed and I was watching an episode of Mary Tyler Moore and uh, there was an episode that took place one episode one single episode uh took place over the course of about six weeks in the life of mary richards what happened in that six weeks are you supposed to tell me that like am i supposed to believe that nothing interesting happened that's worth its own episode of a sitcom or maybe the episodes overlap and maybe like there's an episode inside of an episode right in that gap of weeks. Okay. So yeah, I, I think this is the next step is that we're so obsessed and with the private lives of television characters and, and it's evolved to such a degree that now pretty soon we're going to just be inhabiting their lives and watching them 24 hours around the clock, right? We get to see who these people really are. Us. And uh, we'll finally see them watching Netflix, too. From Birmingham, Alabama. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. I'm your host, Mike Booty. Thank you so much for stopping by tonight. Saturday night and we're doing a live show tonight yeah see if anybody's joined me I don't know I'm trying to like stay off the uh, stream this is the first live show I've done in um, something like two years I think since the summer of 2020 that was my last um, live show yeah the last live show I did and uh, I enjoy doing live shows I really do um, I'm totally fine that nobody's tuning in right now um, although I am kind of confused because I did I, I put together this Instagram reel right I, I've never done that before I had to watch all these YouTube videos of kids telling me how to put together an Instagram reel uh, promoting the podcast tonight because I, I sort of read somewhere that that was like the best way to to plug something immediate and what's more immediate than a live show you know it happens once and then it's over um and so yeah i I made this instagram reel and i put it up and i i've gotten like more instagram likes than i've ever gotten before last at last look i was up to like 56 (laughs) uh 56 uh likes or something like that where are those people none of them are here I don't know. Uh, it's okay. I don't know. But yeah, I, I do uh, enjoy doing live shows because people can kind of drop in. and It does distract me sometimes. I try to really have to make a, concert, a concerted effort to, um, to stay off of the chat um, while I'm actually talking because it does tend to um, distract me. See, like right now, Adam Fox. Hiya, Mike. Hey, Adam. Nice to see you. 
All right, I'm going to turn the chat off now, okay? Uh, it's no offense or anything. It's just, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the point of the live show is that it can actually steer the direction, um, you know, of the show, which I kind of like. Um, sometimes I have things to say, like when I want to rant about uh, the private lives of television characters. Other times I don't have anything to say, and you can actually suggest something. So, yeah, we'll, we'll try doing that. But, yeah, this is a live show, and thank you so much for joining me here. And, uh, yeah, there's more to come. So, yeah, it's um, Saturday night here again. It's, um, whew. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it's uh, football season in the South again. Um, you know, you, you know this because uh, all the people that you normally hang out with uh, are nowhere to be seen. <laughs> you can go outside into the middle of the street. You can hear screaming coming at you from all directions. You know, the good kind of screaming, right? Not the kicking and screaming. <laughs> but yeah, you can hear people doing that. And uh, yeah, today was uh, the first uh, Alabama ver Alabama uh, football game, I think. Yeah, Alabama is my uh, alma mater. It's where I uh, went to school. Uh, yeah, let's see. I don't know what the... Uh, I wonder what the score is. What were they, were they playing? Like Utah State or something like that? Yeah, the, the first, uh, if you don't know, you know, the University of Alabama and Tuscaloosa is, I think, considered like the best college football team that there's ever been. Um, they've won something like 13, 14, 15 national championships. I, I don't know. It's been a lot. Um, yeah, I'm just going to type in Alabama score. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the first... Uh, yeah, the first uh, game of the season that Alabama plays is usually against just a non-contender. They might as well be playing, like, a loaf of bread or something like that. Yeah, Alabama versus the Utah State Aggies. 55-0 um, Alabama. Oh, my God. That's – it's not embarrassing. It's expected. That's, that's what it is. Now, I'm not much of a football fan. Anybody who knows me uh, will tell you this. Um, down here in Alabama, it's just, I know it's like a way of life and all that, but it's something that I just never, I don't know, I just never got into it that much. I, I kind of like, I think of uh, football like I do candles. It's ambience uh, during the fall. Like if, if football went away, I would be sad because I like having it around. I like having it um, in the background, right? Like at Thanksgiving or something, you know, something to enjoy. But it's not something I actively... Uh, participate in because I, I kind of find it just a little bit of a um, just a little tedious you know just keeping up with the stories every uh, every season uh, all the players the statistics uh, you know it's just a little bit of um, you know and I'm so one track minded um, that I, I get I just I can't do it it's like a full time job uh, to me if I were to follow it I think so yeah that's what it is but yeah, I mean, going to going to school at Alabama in Tuscaloosa from like 2005 to 2007, um, I think I was like one of the few people there who didn't go there because of Alabama football. 
You know, you know this because uh, one major benefit of being a student down there is that you get uh, you get student tickets. So you get ridiculously um, cheap Alabama tickets um, to any home football game. And so a couple of weeks before school starts, you know, people line up to get these tickets. It's like a big event. Everybody comes out and it just you can stand in line sometimes for hours. But you're a student, so you're entitled to the cheap tickets. And um, when I went there, I was like so broke that I ended up buying the tickets. I think I bought like all of Alabama's home game season tickets for something like $100. And, uh, and I ended up selling them and paying off all my textbooks that, that, uh, that semester. I think I got probably like $600 for them or something like that. Um, I've never been very business minded, but that was I'm kind of proud of that, you know. Yeah, but I mean, when I when I worked uh, when I went to school down there, I did work in the supply store, which throws you, whether you like it or not, into the heat of football season in Tuscaloosa. Um, the supply store is like the big uh, textbook store on campus. You know, of course, you go and get your textbooks, but they also have all this you know Alabama merchandise, including a lot of. Um, team used field used merchandise that they just have for sale so on every alabama football game day they set up a big you know tent in the quad for the supply store and you know down there i was required to work it every 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 week every saturday so you would go out there and just be mobbed by people not just students but you know just i mean it's it's not just a student thing college football if you live in one of these states where college football is not a big deal I mean, everybody gets into it. I mean, just these, I, I remember going there at like an autograph signing, um, you know, for these, for these football players and they would sit down, these football players, they're like 17, 18, 19 years old, sitting down with like an entourage of people around them as security, like people, like their friends that they just hired to, to come and be security. And they would be signing autographs for like these 80 year old you know, elderly people with walkers. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what you deal with um, down there. It's just a weird scene. And uh, yeah, so I would have to do that like every uh, every Saturday, go down there and you know man the booth and all that. And um, it was an interesting experience. I kind of uh, a- approached it almost as like a sociologist observing you know, odd behavior in the jungle. Um, that's That was kind of my idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, of course... Um, you know, witnessing the return of uh, football season here in the South is giving me a lot of nostalgia, I think, primarily because uh, I am back in college. Um, if you haven't caught the last few episodes of, uh, of my podcast, uh, you will know that I am uh, I quit my job recently um, teaching uh, high school English and I enrolled full time um, in grad school to finish up my master's in, uh, in, in English literature. And so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I won't talk too much about this. I talked about it enough on recent shows, but it is strange because uh, we are in September of 2022. I will be turning 40 years old in just a few weeks, which is crazy to think. And as a graduate student, you know, you are expected to be a little bit older than the average undergrad, of course. Um, but I am being thrown into this program with the person, I think the next youngest person is 22 years old <laughs> in my program, maybe a little bit older. Uh, they were born in um, 2000, the year 2000, right? When I was a senior in high school, they were born. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of odd. But I, I'm walking around campus this week, and I'm just thinking that this time last year, you know, I was teaching uh, high school students, and, and now I'm a student with in classes with students who have just gotten out of high school. As a matter of fact, I ran into one of my old students um, on the campus green this week. You know, we're both students now. <laughs> so um, He's not the only one there that I formally taught either. No. And, uh, and it, it's a little weird. It could have, it has, you have the tendency to feel a little bit insecure being, you know, so old walking around a campus, not so old, but I mean, compared to these kids, I mean, come on. But, you know, what I was thinking about, and I talked about this on the show last week again, so I won't go into it too much, but I think of it in, in terms of, like, education is, is uh, we're told that we all have to be educated at the beginning of our lives, which doesn't make any sense to me, really. I understand high school and, and all that, and, and, you know, to some extent being an undergrad in college, Um but any kind of advanced education, it's like you shouldn't get it all at the beginning. Uh, you, you should you should get your degree or whatever and then go out and work for a few years and build maybe a little bit of wealth or whatever. And, and then you can come back like education is something that should be like constant throughout our lives. I don't think I'm the first person to say this, but, um, you know, not many people practice it, even though I think everybody um understands the benefits or at least maybe the idea of being a lifelong learner and, and the way that i'm thinking about this is that you know i've been working now in the professional world for i guess about 10 years or so um after you know getting out of grad school getting my master's in education the first time uh, you know working professionally for about 10 years and now i'm I'm not working professionally anymore. I'm just a student. And that's kind of what I think about this is like, it's a mid-career retirement is what it is. I think we should invent this, or I think we should like destigmatize this idea of quitting your job and going back to school. Um, just retire mid-career and go out and do what you really want to do something you're passionate about. And then you can go back and, and work with that new knowledge, right? And I, I think that that's, that's what I'm thinking about right now. That's how I'm thinking about this, at least how I'm framing it. And, and I know that, you know, again, it comes across as like a midlife crisis rationalization, but whatever. I mean, you know. <laughs> So yeah, 
But yeah, things are uh, going very well uh, on campus lately. Um, you know, the the funny thing about uh, about it is uh, is that uh, being new on campus, whether you're an undergrad or whether you're a graduate student or, or, or a doctoral candidate, um, you you discover a lot of a lot of things on campus that you don't get in the regular world. Uh, and, and this week, uh, I, I discovered on campus this um, this Blazer Dining Hall. You know, the the mascot of UAB, where I'm at school, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, is a is the Blazer. It's a dragon, right? Which is kind of a cool mascot. Was it an Alabama, like an elephant or whatever? Or I think it was just a big A or something, like a scarlet, no, a crimson A, not a scarlet A, <laughs> the scarlet letter. But yeah, I, I discovered this dining hall, you know, and it's not like any other dining hall I've ever been to. Maybe in bigger cities they have this, but you go in there and you pay like a flat price, right? And you can get anything you want for as long as you want. Yeah, I, I saw it on the syllabus this week. I, I had like a, a, a class where they give you a syllabus and I looked on there and it's like UAB is saying like in order to... Uh, deal with food insecurity right which is what they used to call hunger right in order to deal with uh, address issues of food insecurity among uab students please come to the blazer dining hall where uh, 12 dollars or a meal plan will get you unlimited all you can eat food for as long as you want so you can go in there and just basically for that entire day eat whatever you want so for 12 dollars of course i discovered that technically, because I'm working in the University Writing Center as, as a condition of my contract there, I'm actually, I'm technically faculty. So it's like $7 for me, right? So so I went in there and I, I just was like astonished. I was kind of like walking through the looking glass there, going into that, uh, that, that dining hall, right? Uh, just in a trance. As a matter of fact, I put my hands on like some of those... Uh, what do you call it? Those pincers that you use to pick up like waffles and things like that. And I felt like my hand got slapped and it was like one of the cafeteria ladies. And she looked up at me and it's like, you don't touch that. I touch that. Are you new here or something? <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the crazy thing is, is like, I don't remember uh, UAB having this when I was an undergraduate student 21 years ago. Um, right. I, I would, go in and, and you would have to you know, pay for meals at like separate restaurants in the dining hall it wasn't like a just flat price for seven dollars you get anything you want for as long as you want and so i didn't have to worry about this thing which now i'm kind of worrying about which is called the freshman 15 <laughs> like i'm gonna eat a lot and i'm gonna gain that extra 15 pounds of course i'm older now so it'll probably be like the freshman 30 but you know but that'll that's a that's a that's a scary uh, thing for a guy like me So, um, you know, I have had, uh, aside from being 
20 years older than the average college student, I have had some anxiety um, about going back onto the college campus um, in this day and age because one obvious criticism that colleges get, aside from being ridiculously expensive, um, which I was able to curb that by, you know, getting this uh, contract for, 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 you know, college where they would pay for my tuition and all that stuff. Um, is that, you know, college is whatever you want to call and, and call it woke, right? Is college, is college woke? And, and this is uh, something that people have been talking about for many years and, uh, you know, free speech is dead on campus. Um, I mean, th this is not a new issue. It goes back many, many years. But in recent years, you know, higher education has come under incredible scrutiny, right? Um, for, you know, censoring speech or for being, you know, students being too sensitive and stuff like that. And so, you know, kind of like being on the quad during Alabama game days, I, I kind of approach to a degree uh, being a university uh, grad student in 2022 is kind of a, you know, sociological expedition, right? to see if, if it's true. Um, and obviously my sample size is very small because I'm just at one you know, Southern University. And of course the South is you know, known for not being as um, forward thinking as the rest of the country you know, most times. Um, but nevertheless, I, I thought I would you know, check it out and just to see if college was so called whatever woke and you know, First off, before I really talk about this, is that we got to have this idea that um, language, right, really does create a feeling. And so this term woke, right, you already kind of know what it is because it's been so much in the culture, um, is that, you know, it's this is a good example of how language really does just immediately make you, you know, determine something before you hear anything else. OK, you know, the, this term woke stands for like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. OK, um, or at least it used to. I think now it's almost completely negative to the point where I'm even seeing like the proponents of this word, the people who really invented this word in the culture. Um, they're they're kind of shunning it and disowning it. Right. Because it's become appropriated by people who hate it so much. Um, but, yeah, I, I think like this is also. Uh, pause for like a good conversation about really the power of language and the way that we are living in very complex times. And we're responding to these complex times by like taking these really big, um, you know, like terabyte issues and, and we're compressing them down into megabyte terms, right? Um, yeah, like, I mean, basically, like, whatever you believe, right? You, you have these thoughts, you have these ideas. Um, and in order, in, instead of, like, expressing those big ideas, you use, like, one single word or, like, a term, okay? Like food insecure, for instance. Um, rather than hungry, you use food insecure because you may be aware that uh, hungry has certain historical negative connotations. So you're like, let's create a term that doesn't have those that history that that is brand new and can involve a lot of different you know a lot of new issues that previously did not exist like you know food deserts the idea of people living in 
you know, uh, vast communities that don't have any access to fresh produce and all that. So let's talk, let's call them food insecure, not hungry, because that, that could, again, I mean, like what that could imply is like a lot of things like hungry means that they don't have anything to eat. Whereas food insecure might mean that they, you know, they have things to eat. They're just not healthy. Right. So, but as soon as you use that term, okay, of like woke or food insecure, right? You use it in conversation with somebody, perhaps somebody you don't know, and like, boom. Right? Like, they automatically know who you are, I guess. Like, they, they know where you're coming from. They understand you. And they either like you or they don't like you. They either want to engage in conversation or they want to push back against the language, the term that you're using, right? And, like, there's nothing wrong with this. It's human nature to immediately, like, make judgments um, of people that we just met and want to have a conversation with, right? Um, it doesn't make it right, but I understand. Um, the ultimate, um, you know, goal of humanity, of people, is, you know, we want to try and, like, meet each other in the middle. We want to try and have a discourse and try and, like, solve problems together. Um, but, I don't know, the way that we've evolved in history is, like, we're more prone to just... It's a lot easier just to, like, pick up a gun and shoot somebody, right? Um, doesn't trigger warning sorry I shouldn't have said that I don't know but you know but yeah like this, this idea of being woke right like like you go to college okay and you're supposed to learn there unlike high school you're supposed to learn like a specific skill that would hopefully transfer into the job market or transfer into some kind of like way that you can make a living off of it right um you know with all of this backlash though against like the word woke lately though um you know it's it's come to symbolize everything that's like really wrong with learning or that undermines it right so i don't even know like when this term started like people started using it a few years ago and i remember even using it in class i think maybe like the first or second year uh, that i was teaching with a bunch of high school students and you know i used it as a joke because i'm old and the kids you know laugh when old people use the terms that they use right um you know so i said like woke and they all started laughing at me right but yeah this idea you know many years ago or whatever four or five years ago started as like woke means that um you know you're not trying to apply blanket terms to someone's experience you're trying to like understand where they're coming from you're trying to empathize with them. That's all it is. It's another word for empathy, right? Like woke, okay? Um, but, you know, in recent years, of course, like the way it, it, it is, the language is weaponized. So people have come to like take the idea of woke to mean any movement in society that um, tries to attain progress really, really quickly, Okay. Um, without, I guess, checking across the hall to make sure if it's okay with the other party, right? So, you know, they want immediately, you know, uh, Target or whatever, you know, they're going to make states have unisex bathrooms for everybody, you know? It doesn't matter what gender you were born with, whatever gender you're feeling in the moment, you can just use that bathroom and so on and so forth, right? And so they, they, they are uh, using this term now as something that is very negative to the point where, it's almost been 
subtracted and nobody who really is even a proponent of what woke used to be is using it anymore okay so you know so with that being said okay like on call on college campuses especially at the campus i'm at have i experienced any incidents of wokeism okay as uh defined by the opponents of it um you know are there is free speech be whatever free speech is? Is it being stifled on campus? Are, are kids not allowed to speak their mind? Are kids being too sensitive? Um, you know, I I haven't really noticed it so far. But as I said, it's a small sample size, right? I've only been there a few weeks. Okay. Um, I I will say that like I was in class the other day and a student did use the term trigger warning in a way that was not ironic um but genuinely tried to use it in a way so you know the 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 term trigger warning right is what we just basically used to call a warning okay i'm gonna talk about some stuff you may not feel comfortable with right like if you go to an r-rated movie okay it's rated r so therefore there may be some stuff in there that i don't want to see with my parents okay so a few years ago you know colleges started to talk like about should we put trigger warnings on syllabi? Should we tell students that, um, you know, the, the, the Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter is going to involve some, uh, um, some references to adultery? I don't know. Or this book is going to, you know, cause, uh, have references to suicide. So if you know somebody who's experienced suicide in the past, uh, you may not want to read this book or take this class or something like that right and so like i understand why trigger warnings exist you know totally however in college okay there is like such a thing still as personal responsibility okay you as a student should be able to look into the material that's going to be covered in a class before you decide to take it okay and so trigger warnings to me have like a very very narrow usage i'm not saying that we should scrap them completely but they do have this tendency toward a very slippery slope right where kids are only going to learn what they want to learn okay and they're not going to be challenged and that's not what college should be okay so i did have uh, a classmate the other day used the term trigger warning to say you know sh uh, should we use you know should we tell other students who are going to peer review our paper that our paper has some suicide in it okay and so i you know i understood what they were asking and maybe so maybe not i don't know i'm not really here to make that judgment but that is an example though of how speech uh, was entertained the idea of stifling speech was entertained with a little bit in a college classroom so far right uh you know another idea right um pronouns okay this whole thing with pronouns um now people are being asked to identify by pronouns okay and the people who are against the term woke once again will have you believe that university campuses are now mandating that people say what pronouns they are okay i have not personally experienced this in college yet i have experienced being asked for pronouns but it is not required that i give them okay they don't tell me that it's not required but it's just like you know the box 
right? On the form, on, on, on the internet, it doesn't have that little red star next to it, meaning it's not required, okay? Um, I will say, though, that working in the writing center and not knowing anybody on campus, um, I have appointments and students walk in to see me, and I have information about them on a form. Um, however, you know, three students may walk in at the same time, a, a boy, a girl, another boy, right? And uh, kids are named very interesting things these days. They're named, you know, female names when they're a male and vice versa. So seeing pronouns on the check-in sheet helps me identify, okay, there's only, um, you know, one boy right here, and I see that their pronouns are he, him, right? So I'm looking at a boy right in front of me in a room of, you know, three girls, right? So that must be my appointment, right? So I go out and meet them and there's no awkwardness or anything like that, okay? So, yeah, like a good example of this was the other day I actually had a client um, that I was going to meet with in the uh, writing center to work on their paper. And their writing form said, right, well, I can't say their name, but it was the name of a very popular contestant on American Idol from a few years ago. And I assumed that that contestant was a man, so this also must be a man. It wasn't. It wasn't. They walked in, and it was a female. And the way that I knew that is because they identified with, you know, she, her, right? So there it is. So the pronouns actually helped me. I, I'm not, I, like, I actually kind of like them. The idea now that people are being encouraged to write down their pronouns, right? But, you know, they're not, they're not required to, okay? So, you know, you can stop saying that they are. But I, I think, again, that we're, we're going through this civil war of language right now um, and identity in 2022 America. Okay. Because we've always found it very difficult to be our outward selves all the time. Okay. This comes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, right? We watch television and we see people on television behaving ideally like we would like to behave in life. You know, cool, confident. They're good mothers, they're good fathers, they're good sons and daughters. Okay? And we want to go out into the world and behave like that, but because we're human beings, we can't all the time. And we're finally, I think, making our peace with that. We just want to go out there and we want to try and just become three-dimensional people for each other. And so, obviously, that's brought a lot of identity politics into the conversation. Okay. Yeah, being 3D with each other, right? It just it, it, it opens us up to understanding people, each other, a lot better. And this is where we should come from. We should stop trying to collapse issues upon themselves, you know, using blanket terms like woke, right? just like every week I come up with like a show title. I try to figure out, right, like what would be a good episode title that would grab people and hopefully encourage them to listen to the show. And 
I can only make that decision really once. And once it's out there in the in the public sphere, you know, you either like the title and you listen to the show or you don't and you don't listen, right? I can't help that. And that's human nature. But the difference between my show and everything else out there right now and life experience, right, is like life experience isn't a brand, okay? It's a lot more complicated, but sometimes we want to try and simplify it a little bit. Yeah. Once again, I got off into a big, long thing there. But anyway, I'm going to play some music here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully you're still listening. Thanks for sticking around. Stick around for some more stuff after the music break. This is the Midnight Citizen Show.
Welcome back into the studio. And you can almost like, I've got the window open right now, and maybe it is just the football, but you can almost feel a little fall briskness in the air, right? Just, uh, just a little bit. Still hot as like pigskin outside during the middle of the day, but... Uh, welcome back to the uh, Midnight Citizen Show here um, yeah, in Birmingham. Um, hope you enjoyed that music break there. We had some um, good hits there. We had uh, the first one was an instrumental. Don't play many instrumentals um, on the music breaks there, but that was a good one. 
uh, Sicilian Sundown was what it was called by Dieter van der Westen. Um, yeah, the one that I liked about that, and I'm guessing from the name of the artist, Dieter van der Westen, that he is not Italian. But I liked that because it sounded like an Ennio Morricone um, uh, score there. So, yeah. And then uh, the last one you just heard, that was a good one. I liked that one. That was a Harpo was the uh, artist's name. Uh, the uh, song was called Nature Boy. Um, that sounded like a lot like, um, what's that uh, Polaris, you know, that early 90s uh, band that did the um, theme song to the Nickelodeon show, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. I really like that one. Um, but yeah, you can find those songs along with a lot of other great tunes totally for free at the freemusicarchive.org. It's not like they're going to call themselves freemusicarchive.org and then make you pay for it. But they're run by WFMU there out of New Jersey, the radio station that my good friend Frank uh, used to work for, who uh, proved that you could actually still do a live radio show like this one until he got canceled in 2009. Oh, man. We love you, Frank, at the Overnightscape. Yeah, you can um, listen to me, just a reminder, at the Overnightscape Underground on SUG, O-N-S-U-G.com, um, where you can hear me as well as uh, P.Q. Ribber, Frank Nora, uh, Chad Bowers, a lot of other great people doing their thing, just like I am, uh, podcasting for no money. Just the uh, Just the joy of it, right? On Sug.com. You can also uh, hear me on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, um, Podcast Addict, wherever you get your podcast. Watch me do this show over at YouTube.com slash Mike Booty. I am doing a live show right now, um, and it will be available for replay tomorrow. And yeah, during uh, the break there, I was looking at, um, at the chat, by the way. Um, and yeah, we do indeed have some people joining us. We have Adam and Paul, Adam in LA and Paul here in Alabama, who is on the porch right now watching my show on the big screen, which is great. I'm sorry that the, uh, it probably doesn't look that great in high definition, but I don't know. Um, I'm working on that, Paul. <laughs> and I told Paul, by the way, that I am working my way through some Starbucks via coffee. I do remember I was working with Paul at Starbucks, the, uh, the night that we released Starbucks via like the world's best instant coffee <laughs> to the public. Right. <laughs> and yeah, PQ river, uh, a fellow overnight scape host is indeed listening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Really? Okay. So yeah, Paul just told me something. I'm going to have to talk with him about that. Yeah, actually my, uh, my original manager at Starbucks, he says, uh, left after 19 years there. That's amazing. Yeah. Paul is kind of plugged into all the Starbucks lifers. So, yeah. <laughs> so I got to I got to turn the chat off uh, for a few minutes while I do the show because it will distract me. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's fantastic that I do have just a virtual space going on here. And you can uh, enjoy that virtual space in replay when I when I do post the show on YouTube.com slash Mike Booty. And check me out at MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen. That is the sh uh, that's the uh, place, the space place where you can get all 
of uh, my back issues, all the shows that I've done going back to 2011. Yeah, that is the place in cyberspace, right? <laughs> that just made me feel like a real DJ, right, to say that. So anyway, uh, I also have like a special plug uh, this week, by the way. Uh, last Saturday, I didn't get to talk about this on last uh, Saturday's show. Uh, I went to kind of a, like a cool local festival um, here in Birmingham with my wife. It wasn't the Sidewalk Film Festival, which uh, I try to go to that every year. Uh, but last year, another one came up uh, called the Modern Green Book Festival. I do want to talk about this because you may remember this movie Green Book that came out a few years ago, right? It won the Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I, I did not see it because I think that guy Vigo Mortensen was in it. And he was using this like ridiculous Italian accent and it just kind of turned me off of the movie. But the movie is about like the green book that would come out that, uh, you know, during the civil rights era, during Jim Crow in the South that would kind of let let black people know as they were traveling through small southern towns, which businesses were friendly to them. Right. Because they would go to a lot of, uh, you know, businesses like we don't like your kind in here. Right. They wouldn't like that. So that was the green book um, that was published underground. And a friend of my wife's actually who works with her in theater here in town um, put on this festival that was just a, insanely um, well done um, down at Sloss Furnaces um, called the Modern Green Book Festival. And she actually self-publishes um, this uh this uh, modern green book, okay, that tells you about sort of, fortunately, we've kind of moved past the days, right, where, you know, if you were a black person, you weren't really sure which businesses to go into and all that stuff. But this is uh, black owned businesses become kind of become like a big deal in recent years just to patronize them and, and all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to give you the website for this uh, moderngreenbook.com. Make sure I get it right. Um, no, I'm sure it has something. I don't know. Modern Green Book. Uh, yeah, moderngreenbook.net is what it's called, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But, yeah. Um, I went there and uh, actually ran into an old teacher friend of mine. We used to work at, you know, the school until just a few months ago when I left, um, who owns his own T-shirt design business. And I am indeed wearing his shirt right now. It's called The Crown is the name of the company, and I'll put – a link to show notes too. Yeah, really cool original designs there. Um, Treese is the guy who runs it. He's the the friend of mine, um, and he was running a uh, a booth there. And I did I did buy a shirt from him. So anyway, check out Modern Green Book and check out the Crown T-shirt company. You'll be glad you did. to something completely different and uh, more important. You ever get these uh, bottle caps, um, messages in your bottle caps? This is not that important, but, you know, for many years I've been getting these Jones sodas. Um, I like these Jones sodas because they invite... Um, their customers to like take photos and, and send them and, and maybe they'll put them on labels and all that stuff. Um, I've never done that before, but you open these Jones sodas and Jones isn't the only company that does this. There's a bunch of other like, you know, boutique or whatever 
uh, soda companies and juice companies and all that stuff. Um, and you'll open the bottle up and on the cap will be some kind of a message, right? Like it may say, uh, you know, live your best life or it may say like go to bed or I don't know. Uh, you know, it may, it may say, um, you know, pet a dog or join the crowd, right? Or something like that. It'll be some kind of like inspirational message or some non sequitur. And I don't know who came up with this idea or if it's always been like this, or maybe it's something that was in the cultural lexicon or the, or the pop culture of like the early two thousands when these messages started appearing. Um, but people started to say like at the end of each message, you're supposed to use insert the prepositional phrase in bed, right? So whatever it says, it's like a command or statement. You're supposed to do it in bed, right? So like pet a dog in bed. Okay. That's not so bad, right? Like, um, live your best life in bed, right? Or, um, join the crowd in bed, right? And that's where it got funny because sometimes you would get these things and if you added in bed to it, it would be like really, you know, it, it would be like suggestive and, and sexual and kind of, and just funny, right? And you would just get a good laugh out of it with your friends as you were like sitting behind the supermarket there, you know, drinking Jones soda, okay? So... Yeah, I always thought this was just like an urban legend or something or, or you know, somebody invented it or, uh, you know, or it was just going around enough in the days before social media, something you did. And I guess it was like maybe a friend told me about it and I and I and I he's like, you're supposed to add in bed onto it. And a friend told me about it and I was like, yeah, you're full of BS, man. You're not supposed to do that. That's stupid. You're just looking at my message and, and saying that. Right. It's like, no, no, it's true. And so I kept on getting Jones sodas. And so like after about a year or so, I'm opening one up one day. And this was like in the like, I don't know, winter or spring or whatever, of 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. OK. And, you know, the movie American Pie had come out. Right. And so it's pretty funny. And there's a scene in that movie that we all laughed about where like this kid ends up having an affair with a much older woman uh, who ends up being like the mother of a character in the movie named Stifler, right? And so, you know, she, she, like, that's where the term MILF comes from, right? Like, mom, I'd like to, you know, feel or something. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, so it's like everybody's talking about Stifler's mom, right? And so, 2000, 2001, early spring or summer or whatever, maybe it was the fall. I'm opening up a, a Jones soda bottle and I look at the soda cap, right? I look at the bottle cap and it just says right there in big letters, Stifler's mom. <laughs> like, I'm not making this up. It says Stifler's mom right there. That's when I learned, right? Um, that the urban legend, any urban legend, right? However far out there can be, can be real. <laughs> think in that movie like the kid hooked up with Stifler's mom in bed I think it was like on the pool table or something like that I don't know
let's uh, <laughs> let's change the mood a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, something occurred to me the other day that uh, you know, now that I'm getting on in life a little bit, I'm I'm getting a little bit older, and you know, more responsibilities seem to just kind of fall down on me every single every day, right? I guess that's what life is about, right? You're just trying to always, you know, shed old responsibilities, but then you take on new ones. I, I've noticed lately that I'm collecting an entourage of guys, okay? You know, like life is just a series of guys. Um, and they could be girls as well, I guess, but we'll just call them guys. You know, just people who are like in your corner who help you accomplish tasks, right? People who have careers and professions and, and you trust them, right, uh, to, to help you out with important things, right? Like, I've got, like, uh, a financial guy, right, down at the Edward Jones, his name's Chris, who helps me with, like, my Roth IRA, for instance, right? Um, I've got an insurance guy, his name's Grant, you know, he calls me, he calls me up and says, hey, Mike, how's it going? How you liking that motorcycle, right? So I tell him how I'm liking the new motorcycle and he helps get me a break on the insurance and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I, I have guys and I don't know if, if you do, right? But the one thing I find out is that as you get older in life, right, the guys, they cost you money, right? They, they, start, to, they, they start to definitely take their cut and they're still friendly and nice and all that, but they got to make a living too. And, you know, I, I totally understand that. But especially lately, though, as I've been enrolling in graduate school and obviously not making a salary anymore, making a very modest stipend every month from my university graduate school, right? um, you know, I'm taking on like a lot of guys lately. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll have guys that don't work for you that just work for your company or something like that, right? Like when I... Uh, worked as a teacher, I didn't have a guy for my health insurance and I didn't have a doctor for my health insurance, right? I would just have something that the school provided, right? I, I had their guy, okay? Um, but now it's like now that I'm, I'm cut free, I'm untethered of all that. It's just me. And I have to go out and get all these guys that uh, I used to just have by proxy, right? And I have to do a lot of things now. I mean, you know, this is the thing about working for yourself is that you have to insure things. You know, you have to sign contracts. You have to get health checkups uh, by primary care physicians. Um, it just occurred to me the other day as I'm kind of looking through, like, all of my mail. I got it here. My God, look at this. This is just a little bit of it, right? All these guys, okay, that, like, all these people are professionals and I'm paying them as a, as professionals. And so I came up with this like scheme, this idea the other day that like I could actually get people who are not who are going into the same field, but they're not professionals yet. Right. They're training to do it. And I was like, everybody's got to start somewhere. And so I, I just go out and I find people who need the experience. Right. And so I kind of set out the other day to like hire a few of them. Right. It's like, I'll give you an example, show, what it, show you what I mean, right? Like, I go to the University of Alabama at Birmingham, which is known for its 
medical school. It's probably like the best medical school in the South, one of the best hospitals in the world. It's full of med students, right? And especially pre-med students, okay? So like if these people were to become doctors, you would pay them a whole lot of money, right? But they're not doctors yet. And so therefore, you don't have to pay them as doctors. But they're still getting all the same training as doctors. And they're probably not set in their ways yet, like a lot of the professionals that your health insurance might have you go to in their network. So I kind of found a way the other day to skirt around an issue, right? So I just found this guy who was in scrubs walking you know, around UAB's campus the other day, and I just asked him, hey, do you, you think you can like give me a checkup, right? So yeah, like we went into a room and I got into like a little gown and all that stuff. You know, he had his textbook with me. He was like consulting it and all that. He said, yeah, you're good to go, right? I said, okay, great. <laughs> you know, the same for the psychiatrist. I have like a psychiatrist that I go to, but he's a lot of money. Okay. So I just found uh, somebody in the school of psychiatry. It was just like 200 yards across campus. I went over there. I just asked him a few things about, you know, and, and, and just told him a little bit about me and what's going on and all that. And he says, yeah, you sound fine. I said, thanks. Wow, cool. And then he asked me for, you know, like a referral, you know, for his professor or whatever, right? The, the lawyer thing's a little bit tricky, okay? Because lawyers you want to be really careful with. If you get a bad lawyer, you could end up paying, like, a lot of money, okay? So, like, you know, if they read, like, a contract wrong or something like that. And so you really want to make sure that you get a really good uh, kid who's studying law, right? Um, but the thing about lawyers are they negotiate and they're very picky about it. So even if they're in law school, they're like greedy little bastards. So, um, you know, I, I had this issue this week where I actually did need a lawyer. Um, I had a meeting with the chair of the English department to go over my contract for my, um, um, you know, for my term at UAB. And I had to talk with her and she gave me this contract and I was like, I have to have my lawyer look this over. Um, and uh, she said, I can't really let you do that, right? And I said, okay, just a second. So I went and got on the phone, and I called my lawyer, and I realized that, oh, it's 3.30. He hasn't gotten out of school yet, right? So I went back to her, and I said, like, listen, my <laughs> lawyer is at Spain Park High School. He doesn't get out of school until, like, 3.30. Can this just wait a little bit? She said, no, it can't. I've got something to do. This can't really wait another day, right? So... I went, I tried to get him out of English class, right? So he was like, I called the school and all that. I couldn't get it, right? So I had to go that one alone, right? So I just kind of signed the contract and just hoped that, you know, I don't know. It was probably not a wise idea. Yeah. Accumulating guys, right? <laughs> Sounds like the name of a uh, an illicit film. Accumulating guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is about that time. We're going to go down to that most wonderful place on the uh, corner of the block, the Video Street Video Store, and watch some new videos, see what they got, bring it up here. Yeah.
And yeah, I'll be back in just a few minutes. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Thanks for stopping by. In the trade, it's known as laugh sweetening. And this man, Carol Pratt, is known as the Sultan of Sweet. He's the best in the business, and that box he's wheeling around is his fortune. Inside Carol's laugh machine are 10 tape players containing gasps, guffaws, chuckles, applause, the works. On top of the console are 40 buttons that Carol plays like a virtuoso conductor. Watch him warm up for a sweetening session on the sitcom Webster. Once he's hooked up and his laugh orchestra tuned, Pratt and Webster producer Bruce Johnson watched the show scene by scene as it was recorded with the natural studio laughter. Pratt has a free hand in deciding where the new laughs will go. Here's the same scene sweetened. are arranged horizontally across the keyboard from a very small laugh <laughs> up to what we would have as probably our largest laugh today. That's the buffalo laugh, huh? Right. <laughs> and of course there are combinations and you might want to build a, an innuendo from something small into <laughs> as a slow build or a sight impact laugh. Laugh sweetening is not only used to increase laughter on a sitcom, but serves a purely technical purpose as well. A lot of times in editing or in pickups, uh, which is reshooting scenes after the audience has gone home, uh, for technical reasons usually, uh, pardon me, he'll bridge those gaps. Uh, sometimes in editing, we choose to pull up the picture therefore cutting off the laugh upcutting the picture uh, he'll smooth that out let's give a little uh, a little one on that. you're pushing it oh okay a little guys went into this with a feeling that laugh tracks were really a bad thing but i'm convinced that correctly done where it doesn't antagonize the audience by being overdone or pushy a laugh track does help the enjoyment. For a laugh man, the trick is to identify with the viewer, and Pratt is highly regarded in the business for doing just that. One of the reasons that Carol is the best is he brings the objectivity, and he will stop himself and regulate himself and ask to do it over. He'll ask Larry, can we stop and can we go back and do it over? I was too much. My timing was off. He is uh, very honestly self-critical. You're pushing it. For years, it was felt that if you have a laugh machine, use it to the hilt. If a little bit is good, a lot is better. And little by little, the American public became so sophisticated, they knew what was happening. And it, uh, it called for a lessening. And I think, what, 20 years later, 
we are we're softening the laugh track and being a little a little more honest in our approach some viewers find laugh tracks obnoxious and hope that the need for canned laughter will pass that doesn't seem likely meanwhile carol prance off to another session and at 100 dollars an hour he's smiling all the way bob are you best known for your role in hogan's heroes yeah i think most people identify bob crane with hogan's heroes and thank goodness for that because there are a lot of bob c's in the business i'm forever having people come up to see Hi, Mr. Conrad, or hi, Mr. Culp, or hi, Mr. Cummings, or hi, Mr. Crosby. <laughs> I mean, there's an endless list of Bob C's in the business. So when you say, I'm the guy that plays Hogan's Heroes, oh, that one, you know. Mm -hmm. So, no, I'm thankful for Hogan's. We did that for six years, and it was Hogan's that allowed me then to go out and do local theater. So, actually, that, that role for six years, day after day, did not hinder you in, in seeking other roles? So you no, it, it hindered me in the sense that I don't do that much television or movies, because a lot of people assume, well, that's Colonel Hogan. You know, he does mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, if there's a military show, just recently, Vince Edwards did a pilot for a new show where they're at an Air Force base north of California, where it's a training base for young pilots. And Vince was the star of it. And there was a question about me perhaps doing something in the show. And somebody said, no, it'll look like Colonel Hogan is working at an <laughs> Air Force base. And I said, really? And they said, yeah, put you back in uniform. And it's Hogan, and you know. Sure. So I've never done anything in, in uniform outside of that. Mm -hmm. Bob, was it difficult for you personally uh, after being on a series for so long? Once it was over, what was it like for you? Was it a difficult transition or adjustment? Not really. I, there's never a point where you say, gee, this is difficult. Uh, I love life. I'm an optimist. I'm the guy that always assumes no matter what's in that room, there's a pony hidden underneath all of that <laughs> stuff. I am the original guy that says that there must be a pony in there. And so what happens when the show go goes off, I got a lot of offers to do talk shows because this <laughs> is what I did in radio before I ever got into television. And I was known as a talk show host. So everybody said, okay, now you'll do a talk show. And I said, no. And the years went on. In the meantime, I'm doing my play. I started doing Beginner's Luck seven years ago. <laughs> we did windmill here about five years ago and i was just rewriting the play at that point and adding a lot of things to it taking out things and the years go by and no, never once do you say gee i'm disappointed because another series hasn't come along because i did do a series about three years ago for nbc called the bob crane show we wanted to call it the dick van dyke show but that was already taken <laughs> uh but on that show i played a 40 year old guy that goes back to college so to be a doctor unfortunately the series didn't become a hit it lasted 14 weeks and over and that was it but then you go on and you keep doing the dinner theaters mm -hmm. and you keep looking for another role on television i did love boat recently mm -hmm. that's a funny show oh yeah and uh, so it, you're never really disappointed you always mm -hmm. say one of these days uh, i think uh, hope springs eternal in an actor's uh, actor's life you know you, you always are looking for the next thing that happens <laughs> next thing that comes along Bob, Hogan's Heroes was about World War II. MASH was about the Korean War. Do you think that there will ever be a comedy TV about the, what happened in Vietnam? Or do you think it would be appropriate? Yeah. Do now you? I do. A year ago or two, I would have said no way. Why is that? I think because you'll find a way that, like MASH does it, you're not really taking sides. You're not showing why we were in Korea or why we were fighting the other guys. You take a medical group and show that they're just human beings fighting the war and carrying on like sex maniacs on hogan's heroes we were just a bunch of guys that happened to be in a prisoner of war camp during the german war the, the second world war uh so if there's a uh, if there's a series in vietnam it'll probably be a medical group or uh, i don't know 
Uh, I don't think they'll ever show it. I don't think they would show a combat. It would really be interesting to see if, if anyone ever develops that idea. But you'll notice they'll always deal with people that are behind the lines. Mm -hmm. They won't show combat soldiers. Mm -hmm. Because that you won't get humor in that. Let's talk about what you're doing right now, just a second, and what brings you to Phoenix. It's beginner's luck. It is a play. I understand that you are also directing, and that was written especially for you. Well, I helped write it with Norman Barish and Carol Moore, the same fellows who wrote Semi No Flowers, and we've been doing it now, as I said before, for about seven years. And over the seven years, a lot of changes have been made. I've had got a lot of new people. In fact, right here in Phoenix, we started out the play last week with two uh, cast members that are new one of which has re been replaced. My leading lady just didn't work out for various reasons. And I'm back now with a, a woman doing the show. Her name is Joy Clawson. Joy worked with me about a year ago in Austin, Texas. And she's marvelous. Very she's pretty blonde. Okay. Very pretty blonde. She's doing fine, yeah. But you, you have to keep changing when you're on the road. Keep moving. Be, uh, otherwise, they hit you. Mm -hmm. Bob, our time is up. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for being with us. I didn't even get a and chance to right. dance. <laughs> and Bob will be in Phoenix for the next few weeks at the Windmill Dinner Theater and Beginner's Luck. This thing called synchronicity when uh, two previously unrelated events just kind of come together in one cataclysmic crash of uh, of coincidence here I am talking about being a 40 year old college student and there's Bob Crane in an interview I randomly selected <laughs> off of the rack of the Video Street Video Store talking about how he did a show about a 40-year-old guy who goes back to college and wants to be a doctor. <laughs> Maybe he could be my doctor. He could be one of my guys, right? Yeah. You know your life is surreal, right? When, like, uh, you know, they start making sitcoms about it, uh, about the same exact thing that you're going through. But, yeah, that, that's, like, doubly synchronous because... At the same time, here I am. I'm, I'm doing a whole show about, uh, uh, you know, how we just, uh, you know, we're kind of sitcom characters sometimes, and, and you know, we want to be three dimensional. We want to actually be real people for for each other. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> hope you enjoyed that trip to the Video Street Video Store. Yeah, that was uh, an interview uh, with Bob Crane from 1978 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I believe that that was actually right before, like a week or two before Bob Crane was uh, tragically uh, killed with a tripod um, in a hotel room in Scottsdale, Arizona. Of course, the uh, host of the, uh, or uh, the uh, star of Hogan's Heroes, show about Nazis, uh, <laughs> POWs in a German uh, prisoner of war camp. Um yeah, I, I was saying in the chat just now to, 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 to PQ and Paul and Adam, if you're still there, that um, Bob Crane is just so damn dapper. I know that the guy had his problems with uh, sex addiction and uh, and all that, but he was just so he was so uh, charming, right? 
That's probably why, uh, anyway, he was addicted. I think he was just addicted to, you know, optimism. And uh, what's more optimistic, right, than uh, just constantly having sex, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, and then, yeah, before that, you had uh, another uh, discovery that I, I, I of this afternoon when I was putting the show together. Uh, this great behind-the-scenes look at um, if at laugh track operators, and that that's another interesting um, uh, you know piece of language that they use. Right? He's not he's not a hack <laughs> putting together. Uh, laugh tracks for crappy sitcoms so that they can actually trick people at home to get people to laughing at like a Webster. What do they call him? He's he's a laugh track, a sweet a laugh sweeper or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that 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 just about is like uh, the most evil job I think that probably existed in uh, in television. I don't know if they still do. Uh, laugh tracks now like they actually generate laugh tracks for sitcoms um but man it's it's just so sinister um with this idea of just actually tricking people into thinking that webster is funny you know if all these other people are laughing what's the matter with me i'm so stupid why am i not getting the joke webster doesn't like the cereal and he doesn't want his adopted father to know. What was the name of that guy? I don't know. I never watched that show. Why am I so stupid? They're getting it. I'm a Philistine. I think like people have obviously become very sophisticated about laugh tracks. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure the reason that Aaron Sorkin show Sports Night uh, didn't survive about 20 years ago was because it used a laugh track and people were just like, this show is way too smart for like a gimmick that stupid. Um, I think that's what it was. So anyway, yeah, but uh, welcome back to the show. Just a little bit left here um, in the evening. And um, once again, I want to remind you that you can uh, listen to the show on whatever device and whatever platform you're listening to it right now. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, in case you wanted to, um, to listen to it on something else, you know, you can listen to it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can listen to me online at MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen, where you can hear my back shows, too. I was actually listening to, not to be narcissistic or anything, but I was listening to, like, some of my old shows recently. You know, because, again, I am in this weird period of time, this transition that I seem to find myself in about once every five years or so. Um you know, where I, I move on to something and it's not really necessarily getting restless with a job. It's just that like I have things I want to do in this life and they're not tied necessarily to a career. Um, so I, I, I move on. I don't get restless in jobs. I just like put my eye on something that I want to do next. And when I started teaching like five years ago, uh, the next thing I wanted to do was go to grad school. And that's where I am right now. Um, so it's not like this is just like a, a whim thing. And, you know, I know you understand. I don't know why I'm explaining it right now. It's almost like I sound like I'm explaining it to myself to rationalize it further. I don't know. But um, but yeah, like five years ago when I when I started my teaching job, I, I went in and I was listening to uh, some podcasts that I did that summer. 
And I couldn't really find any instances where I talked about where my head was at, you know, leaving one job and then going to another. You know, perhaps I was nervous about jinxing the job or something like that. I didn't want to talk too much about it. Um, and I guess I understand that, but it ended up working out really well, but I, I was sad uh, that I didn't talk too much about it. And so then I went back and listened to some shows from when I started working at the job before that. And I did indeed find a lot of episodes where I talked a lot about the transition process, including one episode, which shall <laughs> remain nameless, the only episode of the Midnight Citizen show that I've ever had to take down um, because it just got a little bit too much like into my private life and talking too much about other people who were causing me a lot of pain at the time um, that almost actually ended up costing my job altogether. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, listen, if you ever want to listen to that show, send me an email and I'm going to send you a guy along with an MP3 in a Pelican case, right? A, a little flash drive in a Pelican case. He'll give it to you and you have to sign an NDA saying that you will never hand it out to anybody else ever, right? It's really not that bad. I was listening back to it. Oh, wh why did I get in trouble for this again? I don't know. I guess like things were really heated at the time and it just wasn't the right time. It was too soon, I guess. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I listen to these sh old shows and some of them, like where my headspace is, sound like they could have been recorded yesterday, right? Like I was listening to a show from 10 years ago. Um, I was ziplining at Red Mountain Park and I was like sitting, you know, at my old job as a zipline guy and I was sitting in a treehouse just talking. And if you're a longtime listener, you may even remember that show. And I was just kind of talking about starting this new job and how surreal it is to have a job where I get to like, you know, just have fun all day ziplining and talking a lot about how I just feel like, uh, you know, a, a, like my life is kind of like a shark sometimes, you know, some people just have spirit animals and, you know, not to quote Annie Hall and Woody Allen, but I feel like I'm a shark sometimes. If I stop swimming, I'll just die. So I kind of always feel like I have to kind of keep moving, right? And, uh, you know, I'm not even saying that this job right now is like I'm, I'm settling down and, and I'm, I'm obviously it's not even really a job. I'm in grad school. I know what's going to happen next. I know I'm, if I'm still a grad student, you know, 10 years from now, that may not be good. Maybe I will be, I don't know. <laughs> Some people spend their entire adult lives going back to school. I could be one of them. Who knows? That's kind of the fun is not knowing, right? Yeah. But I want to thank you so much for uh, stopping by tonight. Um, for those of you who listened live all the way to the bitter end, um, not that bitter, but I do appreciate it quite a bit. Um, PQ and Adam and, and Paul, it's just uh, fantastic of you guys to stop by. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got a chat from Paul, yeah, but I know you, I know you requested episode 94, the infamous episode 94 several years ago. And I said, no, I think I may be in a space where I can deliver it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send me, send me a text tomorrow and I'll, I'll send it to you, Paul. Okay. Anyway, um, 
I will be out of town next weekend, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing a show on Saturday night. I am going to go camping by myself, most likely, actually. I am camping with some friends in a few weeks, but um, I'm a member of like this, you know, the Campgrounds of America, this KOA. I I go there so many times a year, you know, like for birthdays or for vacations with my wife that I have like a KOA loyalty program. And and one year, one time a year, they allow you to go and camp for free, but it's only once a year and you cannot redeem it. They tell you when you can redeem it and it's next weekend. So I want to go and basically camp for free. Next weekend is not really the best weekend for me, but I'm going to do it anyway because again, like, I'm getting old and you have to take advantage of deals when they come to you, right? <laughs> so, so I may not uh, be doing a show, publishing a show next weekend. I may d- be doing a show live or, or um, uh, record a show and then publish it later. Um, or I may even, if I'm out there and they've got good Wi-Fi, I may do like a live show on Facebook and just record into the Zoom while I'm there. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, uh, just letting you know. Thank you so much once again for stopping by, and I will see you next time. Keep your eyes open.